welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. So glad that you're with us this morning as we conclude our series entitled Uprising, the Origins of the Early Church. In the last few weeks, we've been studying the, the, the origins, the beginnings of the church. We learned that the church is not a building. It's not an institution or an organization. It's not a worship service. It's this movement, this revolution, this uprising of our souls. And last week, we left our worship service thinking about who are some people that we can have some conversations with about the church. You know, people that, we, that may not go to church or may not know Christ personally, what are their perceptions of the church? And uh, this last week I had about eight or ten conversations with people that don't attend church regularly. It was just an awesome conversation. I went to the local coffee shop and I said, hey, and I kind of struck up some conversations, bought some people some coffee, and this is what I've learned about people outside the church, what they think about church. One woman and I had this conversation and, and uh, she says, you know, I don't like it when the church asks for money. There just always seems to be a capital campaign. I just don't like it when the church asks for money. Now, I don't go to church that often. In fact, my daughter's quoted as saying, um, so they have church during the summer? And, and, and I said, yes, you know, we do have church during the summer. And, and uh, But she says, we don't go that often. I just don't like it when the church asks for money. I had another conversation with with a, a, another person, and, and he, he says, you know what, I really don't like the church. I'm an atheist. I grew up sort of with the church sort of shoved down my throat. Then I just kind of vomited all up. Besides, I'm gay. You know, the church wouldn't even accept me. I don't like the church. Another person says, you know, it's not that I don't like the church. I just find it, you know, irrelevant. You know, I, I just have my own sense of spirituality. I find God in nature. You know, I don't really need the church. Another woman said to me, you know, when I was 14 years old, up to 14 years, I attended church regularly. Then I saw the hypocrisy of the leaders, particularly the pastor, and I've never been back to church. One man uh, came up to me, and he wanted to talk about the church. And he said to me, you know what, I grew up in the church, and I went to confirmation, and one of the pastors says, you know, if you don't learn these things, you're going to be embarrassed when you stand up and talk about what you're learning at church. And, and so I learned, and I studied, and I memorized the Bible, and I graduated from confirmation along with everybody else that barely attended the class. And I, and I lost faith in the church until my father died. And right before he died, he had this near-death experience, and he had this encounter with God. And he, he came to me, and he says, Son, get to church. It's for real. And ever since that day, he's been trying to find his way back to church. I had these awesome conversations with people about church, about their perceptions and misperceptions about who the church is and what we're about. In fact, one high school student wanted to talk. He says, you know what? I don't like the church. I think it's boring. Besides, it's way too long. I says, well, how long is it? He says, it's about five hours. I says, have you been to church lately? <laughs> This is not really. He says, well, what would be a good amount of time to have church? He says, two hours. I said, all right, come to my church, you know. <laughs> but there's all sorts of these perceptions and misperceptions about the church. And the question that I want us to think about this, this, this morning is simply this. What happened? What happened to the church? I mean, are we really hypocritical and greedy and immoral? Is that the church? Is that what we have become as the church? Because what we read about in Acts is not about immorality. It's not about greediness. We see this beautiful church, this movement, this revolution of people reaching out beyond themselves for the sake of others. When Jesus 
before he died or after he died, before he went ascended into heaven, he says, I'm going to give my power upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to go to Judea and, Judea and, and Jerusalem and Samaria, the place you don't even like, and to the rest of the world. You're going to be people of power and boldness and courage. See, see, the church in the first century was anything but boring. It was anything but lame. I mean, lame people were brought back to life, but there was nothing boring or lame or hypocritical or disingenuous about the church. So what happened? When did the disconnect happen? Why are we so different from the church, at least the perceptions of the church today? Over the last few weeks, we've been studying the, this, this uprising, this revolution of the soul. And we've been learning about the origins of the early church. And if you remember back in the beginning of our study in Acts, we, we learned that, that um, the Holy Spirit, the main character of the books of Acts, came down upon the disciples. Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, and they had boldness and courage. And Peter preached his first sermon, and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. That was opening day. And then we learned about the first prayer of the first church. It wasn't for peace. It wasn't for protection. Even though they were being persecuted, it was for boldness. The very thing that got them into trouble, the very thing that got them thrown into jail, they asked for more courage to live out the mission of Jesus. And then we, they didn't just ask for courage, they lived lives of courage in the face of great persecution. And then God transformed this violent persecutor of the church into the most influential leader of the church. The Apostle Paul came to faith in Jesus. And he boldly proclaimed that Jesus is alive in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And many, many people were coming to faith. He went on these missionary journeys and the Gentiles were coming to faith. And then there was this church conflict that we talked about last week. And there was this conflict in the church about do the the Gentiles need to become Jewish before they become Christians? Do they have to follow the customs of the Jewish faith in order to believe in Jesus? And the leader says, no way. In fact, we need to remove anything that might hinder the Gentiles to come, from coming to faith. We, we want to be inconvenienced for the gospel so that others might hear the message of Jesus. See, we've learned much over the last few weeks that we've been studying the book of Acts. We've learned much about the church, that it's not a building. It's not a list of rules and rituals. It's not even a worship service. It's this movement. It's revolution. This uprising of our souls. So it's not surprising to come to the end of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 28 in the last two verses of this book to read the following about the Apostle Paul. Verse 30 says this, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. See, Paul was in prison under house arrest. These are the, 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 the very last days of his life awaiting his execution. And this is what happens in verse 31. Boldly, And without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course he did. That's what he always did. That's what the church was known for. Boldness and courage and miracles and and stuff happening. And people getting arrested and then prison and getting out of prison. This powerful movement of God. This was the revolution that changed the whole Roman Empire. This is why we're standing here today. Because men like Paul stood up and declared that Jesus is alive. So what happened? What happened 
to the church? Why are we sometimes viewed as hypocritical and immoral and greedy when the church was this powerful movement of love and grace and sacrifice and beauty? What happened to the church? Is it because we got too busy, you know, going from this activity to the next activity that we've lost the depth of the church? I mean, is it because we were too timid that we can't step out and proclaim that Jesus is alive? Or are we really that greedy that we don't care about the needs of others? Or have we lost touch with the power of the gospel? Have we lost touch with the message of Jesus? Because people outside the church hear the message of Christianity and they hear it as stop doing bad things and start doing good things. You know, stop drinking, you know, dating, chewing girls, you know, stop doing all those bad things, all those negative things against the Ten Commandments and start doing good things. Start going to church, you know, start doing the Ten Commandments. And if you do those good things, then you'll get into heaven. That's how many people hear the message of Christianity. And other people hear that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave to give you eternal life. And many people say, yes, that's what I want. That's what I need. I want life after death. I want to stay away from hell and I want to get into heaven. And, and many people perceive the message of Christianity as just when I die, I go to heaven. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. I look forward to when I'll see Jesus face to face. But that's not the only message of Jesus. Jesus didn't come just to give us life after we die. He came to give us life today, right now, right here in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pain. Jesus said these words in John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross and rose from the grave. That's what we celebrate. Jesus came that we might have life. It's, it's translated uh, to the full, but it says super abundantly. That's the kind of life Jesus came to give us, super abundant life, an extraordinary life, an exceptional life. In the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our circumstances, Jesus says, I have come that you might have this supernatural, abundant life. See, Jesus didn't come just to give us eternal life. He came to give us a better life. He he didn't just come to give us life after we die. He came to give us life today. That's the message. That's the message of Jesus. Not just about what happens when we die. It's certainly not about rules and regulations. It's this life to the full. Paul describes it as life in the Spirit. That's the kind of life God wants us to live. That's the life, life in the Spirit, this this third person of the Trinity, the main character in the book of Acts. Paul says that's the kind of life we are to live, life in the Spirit. Paul goes on to describe it in Galatians chapter 5. He says this is what the life looks like. This is what life in the Spirit looks like looks like. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, page 1155 in your pew Bibles. Because in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we read this description of life, this kind of life that we are to live as followers of Jesus. And Paul contrasts life in the Spirit to life in the flesh. And in Galatians 
chapter 5, verse 16, we read this. So I say to you, live by the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit empower you. Let the Holy Spirit live His life through you to a better life, a full life, an abundant life. And if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Those temptations that we all face, that desire that we have to walk away from God and do our own thing, you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You'll not live according to that flesh that tries to pull you away from God. You'll not live that way for the behaviors are obvious. Paul then creates this list of this sinful nature, life in the flesh, and then life in the spirit. But he says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. The first one is sexual immorality. Now, we, we, Paul doesn't give much definition about what sexual immorality looks like, but we can all kind of imagine you know, a life of sexual immorality. All we have to do is look at the newspaper and read about some of our business executives or our political leaders, and we can see a picture of sexual immorality. I mean, it's obvious. The sinful nature is obvious, and so is impurity and debauchery and idolatry. Verse 20, idolatry is loving and worshiping anything other than God. It's finding your worth and value in the creation over the creator. It's valuing your wife or your kids or your job more than loving and worshiping God. That's idolatry. That's the heart of sin. And then there's witchcraft and hatred and discord and jealousy. That's the life according to this flesh. It's a a jealous life and fits of rage and selfish ambition. That's all about me and my stuff and what I want and my needs. It's this selfish ambition. Then there's dissensions and factions and envy. Envy, I want what you have. Envious and drunkenness, orgies and the like. See, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious and we're all drawn in some way towards the sinful nature. But what Paul is saying to us, what God is saying to us this morning is you don't have to lose your temper. You don't have to get angry. You don't have to have a fits of rage. You don't have to be a jealous, envious person. You don't have to want what other people have. You don't have to fall to sexual temptations with your boyfriend or on the Internet. You can live a life according to the Spirit. You can live a better life. You can live a life of fullness. And then Paul goes on to describe life in the Spirit. This is the life we are to have. This is the message of Christianity. It's not just eternal life. It's an abundant life. And this is the life that Paul invites us to, that Jesus died to give us. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is, is, is considering others above yourself. It's sacrificing your own needs for the sake of somebody else. And somebody else doing that for you. It's this intimate loving relationship. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Joy is, is that, uh, that sense of contentment, that regardless of my circumstances, I can have this inner joy in Christ because of what God has done for me. I have enough. In fact, I have more than enough. I have joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. 
Peace is that sense that, that surpasses understanding. I don't really understand what's going on in the world or in my life. I just know that God's in control, that God's sovereign. And I have this sense of peace. And then there's patience. Patience is that virtue that we ask our children to have, isn't it? We even sing them this song, you know, have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a, you know, who knows that song? You know, you can sing that song right along with me. Have patience. I mean, that's the song that we want, that we sing our children. That's the virtue that we want to have when we're running late, right? And Jesus, and, and the Spirit says, you can have patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Faithfulness is what, what, what you want your son-in-laws to be, what you want your daughter-in-laws to be. Faithfulness is saying yes and following through on a commitment regardless of what's going on in your life. That's the kind of life we can have, a life of faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Self-control, the ability to resist the temptations that we all face. When nobody's looking, we can resist those temptations and live a well-disciplined life. This is our life in Christ. This is the message of Christianity. Jesus didn't come to give us eternal life. He came to give us a better life. Not just a life after we die, but a life today full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the life we have as believers, as followers of Christ. This is the message that we believe. This is the message that we proclaim. This is the message that transforms us from the inside out. This is the message that empowers us, that changes us. Do you know what this message makes us? Are you aware? For all of us that believe in Jesus and have, have received the Holy Spirit, do you know what this message makes all of us who believe in Jesus? This makes us love machines. In the best sense of the word, we have the, the, the power of love inside of us. We're loving. We can generate love because God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. So we can love our spouse. We can love our family. We can love our friends. We can love our enemies. We can love people that don't even like us because the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is love. We can generate love in all of our relationships, and we can be joy machines. We can bring joy to any and every situation because the God of joy lives inside us, because we have this joy. We can go into difficult situations with people in our lives or, or people living in pain or people in sorrow, and we can bring joy. Did you know that emotions are contagious? We all know that germs are contagious, right? That's why we wash our hands before we go eat. But emotions are contagious. Just, just go into a stadium where your favorite team is playing and you just can't help but, but cheer because emotions are contagious. So we have the power by the Holy Spirit to go into some difficult or awkward or painful situations and bring love and joy and peace. In the midst of conflicts at home, in the midst of conflicts at work, we can be peacemakers because the Holy Spirit resides inside of us. We can be agents of peace and reconciliation. We can even be patient 
when things don't go our way, when, when the project at work is running late, when our kids make us late for coming to church or going to some activity, we can be that non-anxious presence that everyone needs to see because we are part of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that makes us generators of love and joy and peace and patience. We can be kind even to our siblings, right? Even to junior high boys and junior high girls. We can be kind. It's kindness instead of meanness. Kindness and gentleness. This is the life we have in the Spirit. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus didn't just come to give us eternal life. He came to give us a better life, a life full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. We can live lives, a well-disciplined life. We can resist those temptations towards uh, diet or sex or finances that can get us down the wrong way. We can resist that because we have this self-control. It's an empowerment of the Spirit. This is the life we have in Christ. It's not just a life after we die. It's a better life today. In fact, it's so powerful. It's so extraordinary. This life we have in Christ is so supernatural that Paul says this. After describing this life as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, because after he says, this is what Paul writes. He says, against such things, there is no law. Doesn't that sound revolutionary? Doesn't that sound like an uprising? Against such things, there is no more. There's no law. Like, no more laws. No more laws. We don't have to live by any law. Because there's something greater than the law. There's something more powerful than the law. You see, this is what the law does. The law, people put laws down to restrict the, the sinful nature. You know, we have laws against drunkenness. We have HR policies about inappropriate sexual relationships. That's the law. But the Spirit is stronger than any law. The Spirit's more powerful than any law. The Spirit empowers us to live a life of love and joy and peace. Against such things, there's no need for laws. There's no need for regulations. There's just this life in the Spirit. And Paul contrasts this life according to the flesh, according to human nature, and life according to the Spirit. He says, this is the life we have in Christ. This is the message of Christianity. It's not just about what happens when we die. It's this eternal life today. You see, life according to the sinful nature is hold a grudge, make them pay. You know, whatever they did to you, do it back to them twice as bad. You know, it's an eye for an eye. That's life according to the sinful nature. Life according to the Spirit says forgive. Keep no record of wrongs. That person that wronged you, forgive them just as God in Christ forgave you. Life, according to the sinful nature, says might makes right. You know, first come, first serve. You know, if, if, the, if the shoe fits, steal it. I mean, that's the nature of the world that we live in. But life, according to the Spirit, is, is you know, consider others better than yourself. It's don't, don't, you know, it's not first come, first service. Like the last will be first and the first will be last. So be the first ones to serve. 
life according to the sinful nature says, I want it all and I want it now. You know, I want the boat, I want the clothes, I want the stuff. I want it all. Life according to the Spirit says, it's better to give than it is to receive. In fact, it's more blessed. You're more happy when you give stuff away rather than just consume it for yourself. Life according to the sinful nature says, go ahead and have sex before marriage. You know, everybody's doing it. You know, cheat on your wife or, or look on the internet. Just, just go ahead and live that life according to the Spirit. says, it's worth the wait. That the best, that, that, that God created sex to be enjoyed in the context of marriage, one man, one woman for life. That's life according to the Spirit. Life according to the sinful nature says, go ahead, nobody's looking. Cheat on your taxes. Cheat on your finals. Just do whatever you need to do to get ahead. But life according to the Spirit says, your character is worth more than a tax return. Your character is more important than your grades. So live a life of character. Live a life of freedom. This is the life we have in Christ. This is the power of the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. It's not just about eternal life. It's about a better life. A life full of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness. Against such things, there's no law. In fact, there's a revolution. There's this revolution of the soul that sets you free to be the person you want to be, to be the person of love and joy, to be the person that we all want to be. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I want to be that type of person. I don't have a much, that much love. You know, oftentimes I kind of struggle with some of these things that you're talking about. How do I live this life according to the Spirit? How do I live this life that we see in the book of Acts, these people motivated and empowered by the Spirit of God? And if you're here today and you're not quite sure how to live this life according to the Spirit, Jesus says it very simply. And Jesus says this in John 15. He says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear, what's that word there? Fruit. He will bear much fruit fruit, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. See, our job as followers of Jesus is to stay connected to Jesus. His job is to produce the fruit fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. This is the way of Jesus. Stay connected to me. Do whatever you need to do to stay connected to the vine. You know, read your Bibles daily. Come to worship services weekly. Be in a community group. You know, serve others. Do whatever you need to do to stay connected to the vine. And let Jesus produce the fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness. Isn't this the life that we want to live? This is the life that we have in Christ. And you know, when I was talking to some of these people that, that, that are, are upset or irritated or don't like the church... It was amazing to me how many people were willing to talk to me. I was a perfect stranger just talking to people at a coffee shop and they wanted to tell me about their negative experiences at the church and how some of them even want to get to church or even want to know God, but they're just struggling. They're just having this tension inside of them because they don't like the church. Imagine if they met people like you or like me that are full of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness self-control. Imagine the impact 
that we would have as a church if we went out to those that are disgruntled and irritated or upset about the church and we loved them and we accepted them and we prayed for them and, and we came alongside them and we shared the message with them. That Jesus came not to just give us eternal life, to give us a better life. That's the message. That's the movement. That's the revolution, the uprising, and it begins here in our souls, in our hearts. Do you believe, are you participating in this uprising, in this movement that started all the way back in the book of Acts, that has continued all the way throughout history, that will continue until Jesus comes back? That's the movement. That's the uprising of our souls. It begins here. Are you walking, living in the Spirit? Are you allowing Jesus to live His life through you? That's how we'll change the world. That's how we'll continue the movement that started many, many years ago. And be that those types of people of courage and boldness and sacrifice and generosity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. That although you are holy and transcendent, you are here and you are with us. You inhabit the praises of your people. And as we end this series uprising and as we end this story of the book of Acts, I'm reminded of Ezekiel's prayer. When he saw the valley of dry bones, he, he prayed this beautiful prayer. Come from the four winds, O breath of God, and breathe life into these that are slain. And that's my prayer for us this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would come from the four winds and breathe your life into us so that we could live lives according to the Spirit. That we could participate in this movement, this revolution, this uprising of our souls. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name.